the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. Good morning, my People's Baptist Church family, and good morning to our guests and friends who have joined us for this live stream worship service, coming to you from the sanctuary of People's Baptist Church of Boston. It's certainly a delight to be able to worship together, and we trust that this day, which will be a snowy day in Boston, that it will be a day in which we can thank God for his goodness and his grace to us. And so today we are looking at the theme, Fulfilling Our Christian Responsibilities. Fulfilling Our Christian Responsibilities. In light of all that has been happening in our country, incivility, insurrection, sedition, and the rise of anti-government media, the Apostle Peter's writing in the first century has some important instructions for us Christians living in the 21st century. I want to focus this message on 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 17. In these five verses, Peter gives us a framework for how Christians should relate to the various circles of authority in which we live our lives. For example, there's an authority structure in the home, in the church, in the school system, in the classroom, on the job, in the office, and at all levels of human government. Wherever you find a human institution, there you will find people in authority and people under authority. People cannot work together in any endeavor without some system of authority. Peter writes to help us to know how we should relate to the various circles of authority in our lives. Sometimes those circles intersect and overlap. Often we find ourselves dealing with people over us who lack wisdom, direction, prudence, and foresight. Amen. We need to know how to respond and why. Right. How should we conduct ourselves toward government? This was an important question to the early Christians of the first century because the government they lived under was not Christian and in fact anti-Christian, and was beginning to persecute Christians for worshiping a God different from theirs. So the question, how 
should we conduct ourselves towards the government has not become easier to answer in the intervening 1900 plus years since Peter wrote this letter. And people have different, different views. And, and um, uh, in this um, sermon, I don't have time to go into all of the details and to answer all of the questions. But I'm giving you a, at least my understanding of what Peter is, is saying here, given the historical context in which um, Peter uh, was writing. First, Peter says, respect people in authority, or rather submit. Now, Peter begins with a simple, clear statement in 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14. He says, for the Lord's sake, and underline that, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. Don't let the wording mislead you. Peter's focus is on people, not just on institutions. We are to submit to all those in authority over us, says Peter. As Americans, when we read that, we are, that we are to submit to the king, we tend to dismiss that thought since we haven't had a king since 1776 and we are a republic, uh, not a monarchy. So let me rephrase it to make, more, make it more contemporary. Submit yourselves to the president, to the Congress, to the Supreme Court, to the federal judiciary, to the state legislature, to the local police, to the mayor, to the school superintendent and the principal at the school your children attend. Now this list could be greatly extended. The truth is, we all live under multiple layers of authority, and it is very likely that we won't care for some of these people and for the laws they pass and the rules they make. There will always be leaders we don't like, leaders we don't trust, taxes we don't want to pay. But Peter's answer is very clear. We are to submit. Most of us understand that lines of authority are necessary for the efficient functioning of society. But wherever or whenever we read a text like 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, we almost immediately start saying to ourselves, yes, but. And we quickly have a dozen yes buts that destroy the meaning of Peter's words. If we start with the yes buts, we will end up emptying this command of its meaning. To obey government is God's clearly expressed will for every Christian believer. We don't have to pray about it. We don't even have to want to or feel like it. Obeying government doesn't mean we cannot criticize it when we feel it is wrong or strive to get laws changed or enacted. As Americans, we have a choice of leaders through the electoral process. 
which the people in Peter's day did not have. The king decided what was going to happen, and that was it. They didn't have a choice. But we today have a choice because we select the leaders that we want to represent us and to, to exercise the power of their office. It's important for us as Christians to respect duly elected officials, whether they are of our party or ideology or not. I know that's difficult, but um, this is what the Bible is saying to us or God is saying to us. As President Truman said to General MacArthur, you don't have to respect me, but you had better respect my office. Ever since President Richard Nixon, too many Americans, Christians among them, have shown little or no respect for our presidents, especially our first black president, Barack Obama. So what does Peter mean when he says we are to submit for the Lord's sake. It means that there is a direct connection between the people in authority over us and God who is the ultimate authority. Now we may tend to overlook or to, or to look at a teacher who frustrates us or a boss who is insensitive and think they stand alone in the universe. But that is not true. They exist as they are and where they are by God's permission. If God did not will it so, that teacher could not teach and that boss could not be uh, the boss that you have to serve under. To say this is not to excuse sin and foolish behavior on the part of those who are in positions of authority. It simply means that those in authority cannot exist apart from God. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21 says, He, God, rules the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. As Christians, we submit to authority because God established all human authority. This means that submission to authority is really an aspect of our submission to Christ. And we will never fully grasp the importance of submission until we connect it to our obedience to Christ. Once we see that the Lord is intimately involved in every detail of our lives, then we will understand that obedience to authority is really obedience to the Lord. And we will be able to give that obedience for the Lord's sake. This is, the, this is critical. We are doing it for the Lord's sake, not because it is the, it's necessarily the wise thing to do in terms of your own thinking, but because we are believers and we belong to the Lord, we are doing it for his sake. Because we know that he is with us and watching over us, even when we think the command we are obeying 
is foolish and short-sighted. One objection that may be raised to this teaching relates to unjust rulers. Submission is hard enough when you have a good boss, a wise teacher, an honest leader, a fair employer, or a compassionate police officer. But what do you do if your teacher is mean, your boss is unfair, the principal won't listen, and you don't trust the people in Washington or in Biggin Hill? May I remind you that when Peter wrote about the king, he was referring to the emperor Nero, one of the worst emperors ever to rule the Roman Empire. He was a cruel, wicked, vile, immoral, sadistic man. His hatred for Christians is well known. And um, as a former professor of church history, I wish I had time to tell you all the things that he did to Christians. And yet, Peter says, honor the king or honor the emperor. In verse 15, Peter says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You see, God is honored when Christians are viewed as law-abiding, tax-paying, and societally stabilizing people. But the second point that Peter makes is that we are to live as servants of God. 1 Peter 2.16 Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And it can also be translated servants. And Paul in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 says, As for you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But do not let this freedom become an excuse for letting your physical desires control you. Instead, let love make you serve one another. It's to deliver slaves or servants of God. And we can be slaves of God because he he controls us. He he owns everything. And uh, we have submitted ourselves completely to him, freely. But to live as slaves or servants of God is to live as a servant to others. Someone said, if you wish to be a leader, you will be frustrated, for very few people wish to be led. If you aim to be a servant, you will never be frustrated. And that is so true. There was a news item many years ago about a young wife and mother who had moved to Arkansas from Michigan to be near her relatives, hoping to find a job to care for her young son. Mary Wadley was laid off her job in Michigan, and moving to Arkansas, she had a hard time making ends meet. She said, I've been praying to God to help me, to give me a break, to send someone to help reduce the pressure on me. She went to the Walmart, Walmart store in Searcy, Arkansas, and purchased groceries amounting to $139. 
When it came time to pay, the cashier said to her, the guy just paid for your groceries. The man had been in front of her in line and smiled at her before he left. But here's someone who was sensitive to the voice of God, who knew that that woman needed um, his help. And in helping her, it was God helping her. And so Mary called the anonymous stranger an angel. And indeed, God uses people as angels to minister to us. So we all need to be servants to others because being a servant speaks to the unbelieving world better than pride, arrogance, and fame. True, humble servants of God silence the ignorant talk of unbelieving skeptics against Christianity. But thirdly, Peter says, be respectful of everyone. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Peter does not say show proper respect to our equals or to those above us. He does not say show proper respect to the upstanding citizens of the community or those who are respectful of us. No, he says, show proper respect to everyone. And everyone includes those who are in our penal institutions, those who terrorize the community through crime and violence, those who are drug addicts, alcoholics, pimps and prostitutes, or anyone you can think of. Why? Because no matter what a person's social or moral condition may be, that person is a human being created in the image of God and possesses inherent dignity. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Every human person is loved by God and is so precious in God's sight that Christ gave his life to redeem us from sin's degradation. See, when you look at the rejects of society, estimate their value not by society's labels, but by our Creator's love and by our Redeemer's sufferings. Look at their capacity to become children of God and to experience all the divine blessings which we enjoy. You don't have to like someone to respect them. You don't have to agree with someone to respect them. You don't have to have much in common with them to respect them. Proper respect for everyone is a Christian responsibility. Many Christians fail in this area. They show disrespect by their actions, by their attitudes, by their speech, and even by their body language. We blame today's youth for for not showing respect. But who did they learn disrespect from? Disrespect is a learned attitude. They learned it from us. We teach by example, and if they hear us as adults slandering one another and being mean towards each other, how can we expect them to be respectful to others? 
Let us not blame young people for poor and negative attitudes if we have those same attitudes ourselves. Parents must model and teach respect for those in authority. This begins with teaching our children to respect us as parents. If a child is disrespectful to a teacher or an elder or someone else in the community who has authority, you can bet they are also disrespectful to their parents. Here are some tips for teaching respect. One, live a life before your children that is worthy of respect. Two, keep your word to your children. Three, treat your own parents and in-laws with respect. Address others respectfully. Use terms like uh, miss, mister, or missus, please, and thank you. And five, demonstrate respect for others by not gossiping about them. Peter says, show proper respect for everyone. And then finally, uh, Peter says, love your Christian brothers and sisters. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, Peter says, love your fellow believers, honor God, and respect the emperor. It is always an inspiration to see a close-knit loving family. But the ties of grace are far stronger than the ties of blood. Those who have been born spiritually into the family of God are brothers and sisters in a manner that is stronger than the ties of natural birth. Death can separate us eternally from the brother or sister with whom we grew up and shared a common father and and mother. But brothers and sisters in Christ share a relationship which will last forever. There is a bond of union between Christians which death cannot break. When Peter says, love your fellow believers, he is simply sharing with us the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure there was imprinted on his own mind the words of our Lord to his disciples, recorded for us in John 13, 34, and 35, where Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This love which which Jesus and Peter are speaking about is not the ordinary love we have for human beings in general. It is the love of one spirit-born person to another spirit-born person. To be a Christian is to belong to a very special family, the family of God. As members of the divine family, we have an obligation to love one another. It is not an, you know, if or but. Love for our Christian brothers and sisters is a key characteristic of the Christian. It was the Apostle Paul who said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Love each other with genuine affection. 
and take delight in honoring each other. If we do not love each other, it means we do not share the Father's nature, and we are therefore not a member of the family. Unless there is evidence of love for one another by the way we treat each other and speak to each other and about each other, then we may be members of the church, but we are not members of God's family. Love expresses itself in loving actions and loving words. You cannot convince me that you love me if you have nothing good to say about me. If you find it easier to pull me down rather than build me up. The most eloquent and convincing evidence of our love for Christ is our love for one another. Our society is waiting for a demonstration of this love. There is no other trait so that so thoroughly portrays a person to be a Christian as does love. Where this love is present, tongues speak no criticism, shoulders carry no chips, lips repeat no gossip, fingers point to no accusations, eyes glare no condemnation, hearts hold no grudge, attitudes reveal no jealousy, words create no bitterness, and decisions leave no remorse. The Christian who genuinely loves does not retaliate when mistreated, does not toss cold water on the hopes of others, does not take advantage of the failures of others, and does not rejoice at the mistakes of others. The Christian who has the love of Christ is slow to complain and quick to commend, slow to admonish and quick to approve, slow to chastise and quick to encourage, slow to dispute and quick to defend, slow to argue and quick to agree, and slow to abandon and quick to assist when and wherever necessary. Or you may ask, is there anyone who ever lived this way? Yes, there is. His name is Jesus, and we are called to follow in his steps. Though he was insulted, he did not retaliate in kind. Though he was sinned against, he never sinned in response. Though he was humiliated, he never threatened to get even. And Peter says, follow in his steps. As the hymn says, Lord, I want to be a Christian. And so, Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. In my heart... Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. In my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 10.30 for another inspiring message of hope and faith.